0: Today on the pod, I make it rain and review Hustlers, the latest movie of J-Lo. Me and John talk about our favourite extras who only had one job that somehow steals the show. John takes us to space with his daddy issues, or lack thereof, in his review of Ad Astra. And finally, we talk about that Jurassic World short film. It is incredible.
1: In a cloud where there are already too many film podcasts, you have to ask yourself, what's the harm in one more? Two ordinary men armed with unqualified opinions. Talk filmy to me.
0: Hello, welcome to the Talk Filmy to Me podcast, the film podcast about news, entertainment, general pop culture. I am your host Adam Flint, and I am joined by my boy, the originator, the John to my John Wick, the Rambo to my John, my McLean to my John. But you know what? He's the
1: biggest hero of them all, John Descomento. How are you doing, pal? Thank you. I haven't had one like that for a while. That was an amazing intro. I am oh, not oh, bad. Thanks, I, uh, like a brave a- astronaut, I ventured into the deep, dark. Uh, mists of braintree Cineworld, world all on my own last night plenty and why was that <laughs> because there was a traffic accident and i got stuck in traffic ah bloody what is worth this but
0: story? i like i like the theme of saying it like a stripper i went to the cinema as well and watched a <laughs>
1: <film>. <laughs> yeah carry on i want to see where you're going with it, it
0: yeah, and and I made it rain. There we go. We'll leave it at that. Uh, what have you been watching recently?
1: What have I been watching? Uh, do you know what? The marvellous Mrs. Maisel, because uh, me and my wife kind of get on board with that. It's a mutual one we can both enjoy. It's really, really good. Amazon Prime. Um, and they're coming out with, I mean, they're genuine contenders now, aren't they, with Netflix? But what mm. I will say, I don't know if anyone else is finding this really basic thing. Amazon Prime does not know where you're up to in the series. You have to bloody... That's not. It's so stupid. How <laughs> bad can you be? Netflix always remembers it. Helpfully just auto plays everything, which is annoying, but you can turn that off. Amazon Prime, what the fuck is going on, man? Why can't you just remember where I'm at? <laughs> I ain't got and time for this. up on Old Man Shouts of Cloud. <laughs> <laughs> As if Jeff Bozos uh, doesn't have enough money to work out a simple bookmarking system. I i'm you know livid but that's fine it's a good show the marvelous mrs mazel really classy set in the 60s lots going on um highly recommend
0: i have this big problem that there is a ton of amazing stuff to watch and it's getting harder and harder to discover it because there's so much content out there and the algorithms are the things that serve us the things of what they think we might enjoy and sometimes there's a little bit of cynicism in that of oh you're just trying to push the thing that no one wants because it might be cheaper for you for us to watch that over something else i don't know but um that means that discoverability is becoming a right issue and i do not help this because when i sit there and go oh actually i want something new to watch and i'll spend half hour going through the tiles as you do on all these different streaming services and you inevitably go back to watching the same stuff so i've fell foul of that this week and i have gone back to binge watching it's always sunny in philadelphia which is not a bad thing at all but it Mm. seems to be that my finger is drawn to (laughs) to hitting that tile and just watching it again and again and again is there a show like that for you that just even though you have seen it a
1: billion times you'll just watch it again well do you know what i've seen a lot of that i don't know if you've seen that meme of um exactly what you just said oh there's nothing to watch on netflix watch watch blah blah blah. there's so much choice and then it's just like the titles are breaking bad uh (laughs) so i I kind of feel drawn to that because i you know that is the best tv show of all time in my humble opinion um but i mean i don't often like to go back to shows much to be honest occasionally you know for the nostalgia's sake when you're a student it was all about peep show it was about the office Black that's books. my comfort. That's my comfort watching right there, just to have a bit of a mm. laugh. But I, we all have it, don't we? It's like binge comfort food, isn't it? Comfort. <laughs> What's your equivalent of of waffles? I don't know uh, for, for <laughs> Netflix.
0: But uh, but have you seen? They've been talking a lot about the Breaking Bad um, TV movie that's coming out really soon. Actually, um, it's called El Camino or something like that. And I'm so torn about this because. Breaking Bad, I agree with you, probably the best TV show, arguably ever, definitely the best finale, in my opinion, and I I didn't want to see any more, and then when I heard about Better Call Saul, I was like, really, but then I sat down and watched it, and I was like, actually, there is a definite, there is a argument here for saying that this is as good, if not. Better than Breaking Bad, which I I was generally surprised about, and I, I'm feeling exactly the same about this TV movie. I'm like, I don't need to know more. Yes, I love the story, I love the characters. I don't know if we should go back to that world, but all of a sudden, just from the little clips, the Skinny Pete clip they showed the other day as well, like I'm I'm getting excited about this one.
1: Yeah, definitely all in for this. The only thing, I mean, it's a TV movie, which hasn't got the same stigma as it used to, obviously, but. Anything that takes Breaking Bad further, you kind of want it to be as big a deal as possible. But I guess it just doesn't need to be, does it? it I'm very you're confident it could just come out quietly and be absolutely genius. Uh, it mm. won't be quiet, obviously, because the amount of people that loved Breaking Bad um, are going to be all in for this. So. Yeah, I'm definitely infused and I have no issues with them continuing this, Flinty, I think. Crack on. Okay, if I, if I suggest one thing for this TV film and I want to gauge your
0: reaction for this, this is just me just asking if a particular thing happens, how are we going to feel about this? So what happens if by the end of this this TV movie, we find out that we never saw a body of Walter and somehow he is still alive are you going to riot or are you going to rejoice
1: <sighs> that's uh i don't know we did see a body sort of you saw him kind of pan out bleeding out right i guess it was slightly <clears throat> ambiguous um do you know what I, I trust uh i trust vince vince gilligan you know he's he's done no one else done six series that just progressively got better or stayed at that level consistently like he did true uh, and like you said better call soul the standards you know he's i've never seen him drop them so i just kind of think if he's never disappointed me before then why should i not have the utmost faith in him vince you're my That's... man you can you treat me how you like treat me like a whore you managed to write a scene about a man taking
0: a dump and reading a book to be one of the most suspenseful <laughs> ends of a TV show you'll ever see. So, yeah. so yeah, from that that logic alone is enough for us to have that faith. Anyway, speaking about faith, let's talk about our first review. I just want to take care of my grandma. Maybe go shopping every once
1: in a while. When I was a kid, I always wanted to work with animals. <laughs> I was close. These Wall Street guys,
0: you see what they get to this country? I stole from everybody. Hardworking people lost everything. And not one of these douchebags. Hustlers is a stripper drama, but it is so much more than that. This is actually based on a true story. Uh, In 2014, an article was released about a group of strippers who drugged a bunch of men. And it it got some notoriety when it was released at the time. It was basically just like a reflective back piece on uh, what has happened in America over the last 10 years and how this group of women uh, bounded together and basically broke the law to break bread and and it, like i say it got a bit of notoriety but it kind of fizzed out but at the time the the rights to make a film version of this were acquired and this is the film version the cast is absolutely incredible on paper we got constance Wu, we've got jennifer lopez julia styles just to name but a few but essentially this story starts in 2007 and basically it's about a low 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 end strip club and a new stripper that's just joined called destiny because why not stripper name and uh, basically she's trying to learn the ropes of of working in this new pub sorry strip bar pub whatever you want to call it (laughs) and Constance Wu plays the, the lead in this and she is basically the audience she is being educated in this world and being and learning about what's going on as she is experiencing it for the first time in this strip club, there's one particular stripper called Ramona who basically runs the roof. She's the she's the the one that's been there for ages. She's she's the Queen Bee. And that is played by none other than Jennifer Lopez. In fact, right at the start of the film, when she gets introduced, she gets introduced on stage and gives a dance. And I've got to be honest, oh my word. It is the most hottest thing I've ever seen in my life. Jennifer Lopez is 50, but you would not believe it by looking at her. Seriously, by the end of that scene, the entire cinema was practically standing up making it rain with money. I, I it was it was it was stunning. <laughs> and uh, essentially she takes a liking to Destiny and wants to show her the ropes. And essentially in the mid 2000s it was it was fine to live that way you could go dance you could make lots of money and you'd basically rip off these old wall street guys who'd come to the strip club all the time and blow all their money and it was good and everything was fine but then 2008 hit as we all know the stock market crashed the world went into a, a recession and all of a sudden there was credit that was crunched and no one had disposable income which meant strip clubs become a very lonely place all of a sudden Yes, there is an argument saying they're quite lonely to begin with, but hey, keep it clean and I ain't one to judge. So essentially what's happened is no one was coming to the strip clubs anymore. The girls were really at basically at their their lowest because they couldn't dance, they couldn't make money, and they decided to go a new way, a new way of making money. The new way was to lure people into the strip club. So they would go out to bars and meet h- people who appear to have a lot of money and lure them into the strip club, get them drunk and basically make them spend lots of money. Now, that unfortunately didn't have a very high success rate. So the only natural conclusion was to drug these people beforehand and take them into said strip club. I'm not going to go into much more detail about this. You think, OK, this is a film about about, I suppose, a bit of female empowerment, a bit about... Crooked people being likable, but then all of a sudden this film transcends. It becomes like a Scorsese movie. It becomes like a Hustle movie. It's about a uh, all of a sudden talking heads to the camera about this is how we done this and this is how good the times was and this is how we knew we were breaking the law but we didn't care and and the music all of a sudden becomes impalpable part of the part of the scene work and the relationship and the acting between Constance and Jennifer in particular is absolutely brilliant. It is something which I generally walked in thinking ah oh, a lot of people have given their You know, the old blowing up the smoke sort of thing, similar to Booksmart in terms of a lot of people saw this in previews and literally tried to ram it down our throats as a consumer. This is important. You should go see it. And I think, to be honest, that's part of the reason why people probably didn't want to go out to Booksmart as part of the thing. I'm not going to go into the debate about that. It's just that I know as a consumer, when I get people telling me I need to like something without giving much of a reason, I tend to not want to go see that. And I was getting that vibe about hustlers. Ignore all that shit. And I'm generally just saying it's a damn, damn good film. And I come out of that cinema going, oh, my God, Like over two and a half hours, I, I was rooting for the bad guys, but they definitely get their comeuppance. I absolutely applaud the storytelling in this. The music was fantastic. The comedy, but the comedy has levity to it. It has some real sort of nice, beautiful moments that are undercut, some great humorous bits as well. Um, Constance Wu is absolutely the MVP in this. So everyone is talking about Jennifer Lopez, and rightfully so, because A, she's gorgeous. B, she gives an amazing, amazing performance. But she is only as good as the person she is on stage with and that is Constance Wu and she has to carry the brunt of the storytelling in this so I hope that when it's awards season these two definitely get the mentions for that Um, one thing I've got to say, and a lot of people are saying about this film, is that this is a film that is very much written and directed by the female gaze. It's directed by someone called Lorraine Safasia. I think I pronounced that correctly. Probably done a terrible part of that. The magazine writer of the article called Jessica Plessa, she actually was involved in the screenplay as well. And there's something I have to applaud about this. This is a stripper film, but it's not about tits and ass. It's about empowerment it's about control it's about them doing what they want they are not necessarily forced into this lifestyle it's just something that they happen to enjoy doing and they're good at it and at the same time they don't know much different so there is a bit when they're they're kind of unemployed for a bit and they go get other jobs because you know what you can but eventually they come back to stripping because that's their thing they do so again it's not necessarily about the titillation of having someone naked on stage it's about the control that person has over the crowd working the crowd being in control of the situation That being said, there's obviously an underbelly to this world as well, and they don't shy away from that. Uh, But my point is is that I totally concur. Sometimes there are some stories that need to be told more from a different perspective, and this story through the female gaze is what makes this film so good. If it was done by a bloke, if it was done by me, it would have been two hours of of that Jennifer Lopez strip scene at the start because, I mean, come on, stand there. (laughs) Beautiful. But there's other things that go to this as well. It's not just about dancing on stage. It is about, it's about, everything else in between of that. And the relationships that form, I don't think they would have been told in that way if we got someone else telling that story. And we probably arguably have had those films and they are resigned to the VHS shelves of old middle-aged men. And there's a reason why that this film is not going to be that. And that's because the relationships in the story in this. I think it holds up against a Scorsese movie. I generally believe this. This is Wolf of Wall Street. If it was done with strippers and knife for one, absolutely enjoyed this i think it's a film of the year contender and that's coming from me the comic book guy the big action junkie the guy who who would rather sit there and watch die hard than 12 years of slavery and i would prefer to tell you that this is absolutely one of the film year contenders it is a five out of five amazing we didn't do anything
1: wrong you know tony wouldn't let this happen i'm gonna text
0: him who gave her her phone back news john we have been hearing about it loads over the last few weeks we had the toronto film festival we've had the venice film festival i think we've got london coming up as i keep seeing on film twitter of all those people like oh i've been invited oh this is so nice no one gets invited to this shit you fucking applied and you begged and i've got to say fair play fair play i'm not bitter i'm not jealous i'm not jealous but anyway loads of films are doing various screenings of certain things that could be coming out in lieu of building up that momentum for award season. We've heard about this with the Joker uh, that screened a couple of weeks ago. And you heard about all this, this 10 minute ovations and people winning lots of awards. Jojo Rabbit, that's been screened quite a few times. That one that's picking up loads of awards. So you can have those little stickers to put on your poster and everything else. Um, But one film that was dropped called The Goldfinch and the trailer dropped for it this week as well, uh, based on a book. Uh, It's got Ansel Elgort. I think I pronounced that right. I'm terrible at names, as you know. The lead from Baby Driver, he is in it. And that was uh, given a, a screening at recent festivals. And for every joker movie review out there that is singing the the praise of this there is equally a slam piece article about this film in particular people are really going hard and they're saying it's dull it is boring the cast is uninspired it has nothing on the book and it's just it's just a lot of bad things in a combination of words which might upset the creators in this john do you actually like when you hear about these sort of things does it ever put you off when you want to see a film or not
1: um yeah <laughs> definitely i but i'm always if it's as gets a reaction like this you wanna watch it right you you don't wanna watch something middle of the roads you you wanna re- know why it's got people up in arms right um yeah. so yeah but i don't know what's it's it's a weird one because the audience score is 73% that's a thousand ratings not too many and then you've got 25% for the critic score <laughs> So uh, there's a disconnect uh, as ever with the film elite, critic, audience, and regular uh, people. So yeah,
0: yeah. I, I kind of want to know why. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, um, Ansel has been on social media today, posts up a video, really sort of saying, "Look, I've read a bunch of reviews recently, and I respect I respect any writer who takes the time to write about something I'm in, but I just don't like." I think he it's really hard for him because he's in the eye of the storm at the moment. So he's trying to be reflective whilst at the same time stand up for his work. So he's, he's basically saying, look, I don't make these films for you. I make it for me and I make it for people that want to see his films. And he says his mum, uh, he took his mum to see it. And she absolutely loved it. And she doesn't like all of his films. And he's basically saying, fuck the critics. Take your mum to the cinema and enjoy this film, which is yeah, kind of nice. Have a take your mum to the cinema day. <laughs> That's kind of <laughs> sweet, isn't it?
1: so is when's that the last important? time you took your mum to the cinema oh god uh probably when i went to see aladdin when i was eight um <laughs> i think it's more she was taking me though to be honest yeah it's not something um not something me and my parents do much maybe i should do um, maybe i'll change that it's just the crossover of what films we like uh isn't very good you know they like anything with royalty in queen Downson abbey and i can't stand that shit so um apart from not my my bag apart from the favorites that was good yeah yeah i'll
0: I'll give you that that was that was a good one as well anyway so goldfinch is getting slammed any of our listeners or people who are in the review world who have seen this and have got something to say counter to that or give us a bit more insight then get in contact on twitter at talk filming to me uh so i mentioned before joker was doing the rounds in terms of the uh, the, the preview screenings or the preview to the preview screenings, as some of them call it. Another DC movie, which is in the works at the moment is birds of prey and um, a poster dropped for it. And I'm going to be honest, like for all the hype that we're getting about the whacking Phoenix Joker world, where we're like, Oh my God, this is incredible. The more I'm hearing about this, birds of prey movie the the lead i'm not getting excited about this and the poster looks a bit bit lame as well although saying that margot robbie back as harley quinn so that's always a good thing are you are you down with this
1: Sean? or is this a yeah move on to the next one <laughs> yeah i haven't got much to go with this i didn't see the first one so there we go well Yeah,
0: uh, not a lot of people did. I might speak to give Bill a bit of a a bit of a heads up, and maybe we'll have a bit of a feature about that, and talk about the DC EU going forward. Anyway, another extended universe, which uh, extended a little bit more over the last weekend, is the Jurassic Verse, as they're calling it now. Uh, Colin Trevorrow is back in the directing seat after taking some time outs to work on what ultimately became a failed Star Wars. uh, proposal because then he was he swapped out of that and um, so he was producing on the second Jurassic World movie and he is now back in the director's chair for the third one and what's going to be quite interesting is that the time difference between Jurassic world fallen kingdom and Jurassic world free is going to be a substantial amount of time. So universal sat down with Colin and said, okay, given that we're going to be taking the audience into a whole new direction, sorry, minor spoiler alerts for fallen kingdom, dinosaurs are let out of the bag. Now they're now out in the real world. And this is going to be how the world adapts to that and reacts to this new world. Finally. that we've, we've now built finally. Yeah. They've got off the Island for fuck's sake. And, um, we want you to help bring that audience along the story. So he released a short film, an eight-minute movie called Battle of Big Rock. It is absolutely fantastic. Like I say, it's eight minutes long, but don't don't let that put you off in terms of thinking, oh, is this gonna be is there any quality here? Have you just dropped it on YouTube, is there no, this is like this is just as good as a a Jurassic film in terms of the animatronics, the effects and the acting in this as well. It done the rounds from last weekend, just as Colin Trevorrow got on stage at the empire live film podcast. Uh, Thanks for inviting us guys. Had a great time. And, and yeah, this was, this looks absolutely incredible. John, have you had a chance to see this yet? Or if not, when are you going to see this?
1: I'm going to watch it immediately after we, we, we finished, uh, shooting this podcast flinty yes a
0: it's on the twitter free. account check it out it is beautiful um so I sp- i'll tell you what is beautiful a eh? uh the 90s it, it, it had its time right there were some films that were typical 90s films i'm thinking about films like Con Air. i'm thinking about films like the rock i'm thinking about face off yes is there a common denominator here nick cage of course there is um well, you In that sort of patheon of awesome 90s movies, what's the best one for you,
1: John? Oh, do you know what? Speed. I remember watching Speed for the first time as a, like, a young teenage boy, and I was just so enthralled. I thought it was the best thing ever. And I also was in love with Sandra Bullock, so I think that played something of a role. But yeah, totally. Con Air, Face Off, Speed, 1 and 2. I was all in those as a teenage boy. Um, but Face Off stuck with me. Any, You know, we've talked about body swap movies, face swap movies. <laughs> um, I was all in when I first watched Face Off. And obviously now it, it's kind of more hilarious than uh, in, in fooling. But um, this is some exciting news. I'm in it for this news. Go on, give it to me. well
0: you're you're excited as well so they have announced that they are going to reboot face-off they are going to remake it for a modern audience it's not going to be a sequel or a spin-off it's going to be a retelling of the classic john woo movie from the 90s now i i absolutely love face-off it has its time right it's just about it's about there's always there's always a speedboat scene in these sort of films wasn't there and there's always a, a scene with doves flying off in slow motion and it literally just felt like it was Nicolas Cage and John Travolta trying to outdo the other person, and just do random impressions of each other. It generally felt like that, but in all the best ways. I I don't know why you'd want to remake this film. Like why? It's so yeah. good
1: the way it was. It doesn't. It hasn't been long enough, has it? And there's some um, there's some really good, funny scenes that stick with you in that movie. Uh, do not you remember the one with John Travolta's? you know so they've swapped and john travolta is the bad guy and he's in the house with his teenage daughter that's a scene. oh that's a creepy scene i think john travolta in that movie is brilliant uh and and nick cage to be honest but i don't know yeah I'm, i'm sort of with you it's does it do we need this do you know what? i'm worried they're gonna take the sort of campness and the fun out of it and it's they're going to try and maybe someone's like misinterpreted this movie and they're going to try and make it you know a genuinely I don't know
0: Oh, I know what you mean like a gritty drama, and we'll yeah. gender swap the main characters because <laughs> because that'll keep the top people in charge rather than actually thinking about changing stories. So yeah, I I completely agree with you. I when i say saying that there is a part of me that does. There's certain like actors you think, oh that'd be pretty cool to see them. You know, what? I'd like to see something like James McElroy and Fastbender facing off again. Literally, making them swap faces that'd be kind of cool. Well,
1: Anyone else you'd like to see? the funniest thing about the first one is that nick cage and john Travolta look absolutely nothing like and then when, <laughs> they, when, they, when they swapped they had obviously there was absolutely not even a hint it like the operation went pe- so perfectly that their entire <laughs> no body and faces were just flawlessly swapped um and you kind of i don't know that's 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 sort of hilarious and you I don't want stuff them to take that stuff too seriously. Maybe if they went the other way and made it more ridiculous I'd be in and for it, you know. Turn it into okay. a, a proper comedy.
0: So with that in mind, instead of getting two actors, I just want one actor. I want Gerard Butler to be face-off where it's just gerard butler swapping faces with himself but it's just a bearded butler with a shaven butler (laughs) he's got his sparta voice and his dodgy scottish accent on the other side and there we go done sold there you go you got me got me on board now
1: you only have to pay for one star there as well so very true very true but
0: you know i mean this is counterintuitive kind of to some of the things that I've said in the past of this podcast, but you know, they're just kind of gonna make it a zooped up action movie. They'll probably get Ryan Reynolds because he's why not? And uh actually I feel like I'm making this film something I want to see now. Face off Ryan Reynolds with Keanu Reeves. Oh. They look nothing
1: alike, but somehow this would work and it'll be incredible. Yes. And get Keanu to play that sort of dopey character he does. Uh make it a full-on comedy i'm all right i'm in it now i'm in it make that movie there we thing. go
0: hollywood there you go hope you're listening so speaking about reboots and remakes and everything else in between and sequels to that um, it chapter two become the highest grossing opening weekend ever for a horror movie it was only beaten by the first uh it movie which has made people talking about "Mm, where does we go with this franchise the answer is fucking nowhere because the clues in the poster, it ends leave it (laughs) Um, and i don't really want to hear or see any more things about clowns actually i'm kind of i'm getting done with like the whole nostalgia thing have you seen that american horror story dropped their trailer for their their latest incarnation and it's going to be called american horror story 1984 i'm like I'm done with 80s. I'm done with kids on bikes going from point A to point B in a town. And I am done with synthesizers. Like, it's been done, and it's been done well, so leave it. I've had enough.
1: Anyway, run over. (laughs) Yeah. No, I'm sort of with you. We've had a lot of 80s. Uh, Stranger Things has pretty much mastered the sort of 80s nostalgia. Um, That's what I kind of like. Mad Men had the 60s thing going on, which I loved. Yeah. Marvelous Mrs. Maisel has a very similar kind of look back, if not a bit more sort of less serious look back. But, um, yeah, so I'm I'm in it for the 60s. I like that. Hmm. Although the
0: music was pretty dope.
1: Well, that's the thing. I'm I'm kind of done with
0: 90s stuff as well, because I think uh, Captain Marvel kind of proved this, that the 90s, although it was a long time ago, it doesn't feel that long ago in terms of music and culture and, and and clothing and everything else. So when she'd crash land in a blockbuster video, it wasn't a, Oh my God, this is so nostalgic. It was just a, Oh, now I'm sad. I can't go rent a video from blockbuster. Like mm. I just, I think certain decades have their identities and we've kind of taken all of that, that goodwill towards certain identities from those eras, And we've already portrayed them loads
1: recently. So why don't we just make a film that's set now let's try or, that right very n- near future that's that takes balls because you're saying all right this is set in the year 2030 i'm going to try and predict what the world's going to be like then knowing full well that in 10 years when i'm still alive you're going to absolutely slam my film because i got so much wrong uh that's <laughs> that's what i want to see
0: i want minority report in 2020 that's what i want <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> Anyway, so before we become more old men uh, ranting at clouds, just to wrap off the news, I was speaking about in a moment ago. Actually, Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell are going to be starring in a reimagining of a Christmas Carol. It's that time of year, right? It's coming around the corner every year. There's always some form of Christmas retelling of something. But I got to be honest, Christmas Carol, Muppets Christmas Carol, you can't fucking touch it. Don't even go there. So that's that. That's why you know the Jim Carrey Christmas Carol that came out. Oh, 10 years ago now, God, 10 years ago. Um, I was just like, although it's Jim Carrey, and you got, you know, I know I love it and it's great. I still think back to Muppet's Christmas
1: Carol. Yeah, I think that's that's our generation's Christmas movie, right? So the soundtrack, Flinty, put that on every year. Amazing. Yeah, we do actually. Yeah, we do. I put it on for my daughter, and she doesn't really have a clue what we're talking about,
0: but I'm just like, (laughs) look, Michael Caine, aka Alfred is ebenezer scrooge that's all you need to know just watch it and uh, but you know will ferrell was a funny guy ryan reynolds was fucking hilarious so hey you know what i'm sure this is going to be good i'm sure they'll danette holmes and watson was pretty bad and that had a lot of good people anyway let's try and keep positive about this so it's not coming out this year it'll be coming out next year one would presume around christmas cool. and that's the news for this week cool. John, I've been listening to our podcast recently, as you do, and although I'm impressed with some of the things we've done, I feel we've gotten a little complacent, a little bit too almost generic in terms of our our approach sometimes. Yes, we try and do the uncommon stuff uncommonly well, but you know what? What do we bring to the table that no no one else can bring to the world of film Twitter and the podcasting world in general, which is our pedantic ability to talk about meaningless shit in films. And for that reason, I'm bringing in this feature. It's called Top 5. Yes, top five. It's going to be top fives of absolutely meaningless shit to do with films, which no other podcast would dare to go to this level of pedanticness and boringness, whilst at the same time being an absolute
1: nerd. Sound good, John? That sounds brilliant. Go on then. Hit me with the first one.
0: Top five. Top five. By the way, we've never heard of Pulp or any other bands to that similar effect. So, this top five is going to be the best extras in a film who just fucking went for it. Extras who stole their scenes, who clearly should not have been there or decided to take their moment with both hands. John, there are so many films which you've been distracted by some weird extra or just someone who had one line, but delivered it with so much gravitas. It was terrible. And I've got a few of them to talk filmy of you about. I'm hope So what I've done is done a bit of research, obviously remember time, some great films and everything else. Tried to find out, who the extra was and what sort of career they went on to have after that film, but it's really hard because obviously not everyone gets credited and stuff like that. But if you do know who these people are, and I've got something wrong, get in contact with us on Twitter at Talk Filming to me. Now, when I think of extras, and I think of like someone who's had a dramatic line or, or a moment where they stole the show for a second, my first thought is always Back to the Future Part Two. Now, I'm gonna I'll, I'll set up the scene and then describe the, the extra. So, this is about three quarters of the way through the film. Marty has learned the repercussions of his actions and he must go back in time and get that sports almanac back, which results with him going back to that under the sea dance and interrupting that time that his future dad and future mum kiss for that first time. But because she is being at the moment, held in a car by none other than Biff, the family guy. Obviously, I'm not going to go through the full fucking film. You get the film. But that scene where Biff is holding up his mother in the car and Marty comes and rescues his mother. And then, out of nowhere, his dad stands up and punches Biff. Do you remember that scene? Fucking brilliant. It's yeah, a really dramatic scene. They replay that scene twice in in the films. Obviously, in the first film, they do it. And then they have to come back and revisit it again in Back to the Future 2. Do you remember that
1: scene? I
0: Vaguely, yeah, yeah. Right, so Biff's been knocked clear, spark out, and Marty's quickly checked his jacket and found the sports almanac and run away. Whilst at the same time, an extra comes in and pats down Biff and goes, did you take his wallet? Camera pans in on him and he just goes, I think he took his wallet.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It
0: makes me laugh so much. Anyway, that guy was played by none other than a gentleman called Wesley Mann. Yes, that is right. Wesley Mann, he's only billed and credited as CPR kid. (laughs) And he has been been an extra in tons of films in the 80s and 90s in particular. He was in films like Every Dog Has Its Day, Academy Boys, The Shadow. uh, Obviously, Back to the Future Part 2. But in the 90s, he was in films like... But I'm a cheerleader. <laughs> Sorry, I'll try to go through. He's got an IMDb page and everything. It's just when he's been, been an extra in various stuff. So fair play to him. He went on to have a career as being an extra. He's had, he's had names like doctor, male executive, clerk, <laughs> jail keeper. He's done it all. He's, he's got it all. And uh, I always laugh so much about that. Classic scene, hilarious guy. Um, Obviously, if you talk about extras who have somehow stolen the limelight, there's obviously one that comes to a lot of people's mind, which is, In Star Wars, there is a legendary scene where there's a stormtrooper running down a a ramp (laughs) and accidentally hits his head. Now, this originally ended up in the final cut of Star Wars. Everyone saw it and laughed at it, and Lucasfilm kind of ignored it. But when they re-released the Star Wars trilogy in the 90s, they done a hilarious boing gag noise over it and kind of lent into it to the point where this has actually inspired a documentary that's being made at the moment. They're actually trying to track down that extra because at the time, uh, not everyone was credited and you don't put every, and unfortunately, not every extra ends up with their name on the bill or at the end credit. So no one knows. It's just the unknown extra, but it's probably the most famous unknown extra ever. Did you, have you ever seen that? Did you ever, or Have you ever heard about this, the, the stormtrooper who bumps his head?
1: Oh, yeah. It's legendary, right? How are you going to find him? Yeah, Surely and- he doesn't even know who he is.
0: Well, maybe maybe people do know. I don't know. I mean this documentary is literally about someone tracking down everyone who worked <laughs> in casting and on that film with the purpose of just finding that person. So that always makes me that makes me smile when I when I think about that. But I'll tell you, and actually when I look at if you like Google extra bloopers or extras who who fucked up, you'll be surprised at how many extras screwed their lines or their their scenes or whatnot in the christopher nolan dark knight trilogy which i i stand as one of my favorite trilogies of all time And ladies and gentlemen my names adam flint i fucking love batman but there are and i, I don't see him i don't i don't remember seeing them in the film when i'm watching them. i was never taken away by him but there's one in particular which now i know i can't help but see you can't unsee it is that in the dark knight rises there's a scene mm. where Batman and Catwoman are on a on a rooftop, and they met for the first time, and oh, I might have been the second time. And there's a scene where these crooks uh, are muscling in on Batman and Catwoman, and uh, she's she's saying something like, "Um, like these are uh, don't 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 hurt me, or something bad will happen." And then Batman's on top of the roof, and he says in his his voice, which is not aging well. The more and more I watch it, he goes, "Don't know." they just don't care and they have a big fight and it's a yeah it's it's it's, it's, i gotta say the fighting standard seems to drop in each film other than obviously the big fights with bane and stuff but like generally the fight choreography is not john wick standard and there's literally one guy who doesn't even get kicked he just falls to the floor he just gets, he, he doesn't even get kicked and he just falls and rolls around on the floor in pain and agony. But obviously, the camera is drawn towards Batman doing his fight. And obviously, obviously, Nolan must have fought at the time. No one's going to notice. Everyone's focused in on the center of attention. But you will go back and watch that film now and be like, okay that is fucking terrible <laughs> and again this is the name of the unknown extra because um they didn't credit that person in the film but that's another time where i thought <laughs> that extra he just went a bit too went for it too much a bit too overconfident went a bit too early and just fell over
1: <laughs> there's a lot of extras in gladiator that kind of there was the watch gate wasn't there someone's wearing like a rolex in the scene you've i mean that's pretty amazing how they've managed to get on it's like oh yeah, yeah what are you do is they just been an extra for a you know uh period piece from the uh year 23 um uh, are you not gonna say <laughs> Nah, it's all good no. I
0: need to know what time it is so I can get me lunch in, don't I?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: so, so another extra who has a line, in one of my favourite films of all time, and I don't know why it's one of my favourite films of all time, it just is, The Devil's Advocate. You ever seen it, Al Pacino with Keanu Reeves? Yeah, brilliant movie. Okay, so this is about, again, three quarters of the way through the film where all of a sudden the devil's work is at play and this character called Eddie Barzun, who's essentially Al Pacino's kind of prodigy who didn't work out who keanu reeves ended up replacing and um, he you know spoiler alert this film is 20 years old and um, eddie barzoon gets killed he gets killed by a bunch of homeless people but those homeless people have devil eyes and obviously everything else and it's the scene where keanu reeves comes to the office to find out that eddie's been killed and they're talking around the office and as he's being told one extra just walks past because they go oh how did eddie die oh he was out walking no he was out jogging and then someone walks past going it was our jargon, if you could believe it. And it was just the hilarious way he just, he just busts chops as he's saying it completely out of tone of the scene. He's not credited. I've done my utmost to try and find out who that person was because his delivery was so funny. But, uh, but yeah, I, I generally, that scene makes me laugh so much. But my number one, my number one extra who fucking went for it is in none other than the classic movie Forrest Gump assistant coach played by Jim Book. so basically (laughs) when Forrest proves himself on the football field everyone celebrates so do you know that scene where he keeps running through the field and it shows the coach and his assistant staff screaming so happy Mm. and the assistant coach in particular his happiness is so elated like over the top like just absolutely unbelievably over the top to the point where he's wide eyed he opens his mouth he throws down his clipboard and he goes (laughs) <laughs> it's like you've got one shot Jim you've got one shot this is on you and he fucking brings his A game and it, brought, it brings a smile to my face because so I'd like to think if I ever get the chance uh uh Mr. Danny Boyle, please can we be extras in your new twenty eight Demisible of Time Zombie movie? <laughs> if you ever get a chance to be an extra in a scene of a movie, that is how you take your chance. I, I don't know what else you went on to go doing, Mr. Jim but but you sir, we salute you. Honourable mentions though, pe- extras that didn't make it into the cut because I didn't want to stag people off too much, was uh, Back to the Future Part Three, the kids they got to play in like the you know, the, like the weird train spaceshipy thing. They generally look like serial killers. Like if you actually watch that film now, like they, they're kids that clearly aren't interested, but staring into space, there's something something sinister about those kids. Maybe they'll grow up to be serial killers. Who knows? And uh, again, Batman. Again, back uh, Batman forever. Literally, the opening scene where it's like the the um, safe that's hanging above Gotham. There's one guy in the crowd who goes. Eh, Batman eh, and it That's zooms so cool. in on him and it's just so fucking hilarious so if you've got a top 5 of extras who just fucking went for it or make a film so memorable despite the fact they were terrible then let us know, get in contact on Twitter at me.
1: Major, we have some highly classified information What can you tell us about the Lima Project? Its objective was to search for advanced extraterrestrial life the ship disappeared approximately 16 years into the mission. And the commander was? He was my father, sir. This might come as quite a shock to you. So, at Astra, on my voyage to the cinema last night, I was hoping to be met with uh, my, my very faithful partner, Mr. Flint. Unfortunately, you were in traffic. I had to go all on my <laughs> own probably a good movie to watch all of my own spent most of it in Brad Pitt's head narrating every thought so that you didn't miss a beat which is kind of I don't know some sometimes in sci-fi you want a bit of mystery don't you uh you don't get so much of that in this movie so we start with Mr. Roy McBride, he is the son of Clifford McBride, who is this legendary Buzz Aldrin-style astronaut who went out into the depths of Neptune and never came back. We're not sure what he's doing, but he's an American hero. So Roy McBride's taken his place uh, as a new up-and-coming astronaut. His heartbeat never goes over eighty. He's a real professional, but lacks in what a man. Human, what a man lacks in human <laughs> connection and relationships, particularly with this uh, partner, Liv Tyler plays, who's really unsatisfied with <laughs> his uh, what should we distance, should we say, because he's concentrating <laughs> on space stuff. So, anyway, oh, he works on the huge space ante- antenna on Earth, which is basically an extension of the ISS right now. Huge accident, electrical surge, some reason it's coming from Neptune. What's going on? Maybe his dad's alive. He's causing some trouble. We don't know. Anyway, they get Roy. They want him, send him on a mission. Let's go and make contact with your dad and try and find out where he is and try and basically neutralize him. So obviously this is a bit of an odd mission for uh Mr. Roy McBride, aka Brad Pitt. Some reason he has to go to the moon, which launches him to Mars to send a laser message to Neptune. So this obviously means we get a lot of action sequences. There's pirates in space on the moon, there's an Applebee's capitalist craziness. <laughs> It's kind of, uh, there's some funny little kind of digs um, and just maybe warnings of how space exploration could go a bit fucked up. Um, So, yeah, on the moon, uh, none of these action sequences are really very well explained. They just sort of happen. It's a bit dystopian, but it kind of feels like they're thrown in because they're worried we're going to get bored with the kind of, you know, through plot, which is brad pitt and his daddy issues uh and trying to confront his father tommy lee jones in space so anyway on the moon stuff happens there's a killer monkey that kind of has taken care of the crew and it's kind of interesting you never really (laughs) warm to any character uh other than brad pitt but not quite enough in my opinion he's the kind of neil armstrong distant emotionally guy and it's I found it quite hard to care enough about him that the film obviously wanted you to. Uh, What I will say is cinematography in each of these worlds on the moon, even if you don't spend much time on earth, on the moon, Mars and around Neptune, around Jupiter, they, it really does feel amazing. Otherworldly, the use of colors, the score, it, you kind of feel like you're in a total different world, which is amazing. so, Anyway, we've got a few action sequences to kind of help us on the mission to Neptune, which for some reason only takes 79 days from Mars. Uh, And there's a lot of things that need to happen that somehow Roy McBride ends up on this ship that goes off to Neptune to confront his daddy. And by the way, he's all on his own. That's fine. I'd like to get Jamie's opinion on some of the science in this movie because uh, uh, not being a scientist... It's yeah, a bit I, questionable. I, very questionable. Um, I, I suspect. Maybe it's all on point. Who knows? So anyway, off he goes. Think Apocalypse Now meets 2001. That's what a lot of people are saying. Also, there's a lot of sort of heartbacks to Event Horizon, which also focuses on going to Neptune to kind of confront a, a crew gone wrong, gone slightly mad. So so we get to Neptune. There's the big confrontation with Tommy Lee Jones. I would say confrontation. It's all building up to this, right? This culmination. We've heard every Brad Pitt thought of how he's uh, feeling, his relationships with humans and his dad and lots of these unanswered questions and it builds up to uh, somewhat forgettable scene i'd say uh, which is odd because it takes place on the sort of belt of neptune uh and it's between him and his father uh, there's some kind of tender moments some some not bad lines but there's a very obvious visual metaphor <laughs> out in space uh, which I felt was a little bit on the nose for me um but a giant then, penis it wasn't but thank you for diminishing my review to the, <laughs> uh, uh, <hit-tags. laughs> Flint I'm trying my best a man so uh <laughs> sorry dude <laughs> for some reason uh he manages to kind of cause a nuclear explosion to propel him all the way back to earth and there we go you don't and then uh, I guess at the end, there's not much question. There's a few questions you want answered at the very end. Maybe you don't want them answered that much because it hasn't built it up. But fundamentally, I mean, this this film is about uh, an emotional connection between uh, Roy McBride and his father, and the distance, and how that's affected to him. I feel like I might have got more out of this movie had I maybe been unfortunate enough to have those kind of uh, maybe father issues. So I'd be interested to get (laughs) other people's takes on it uh, who might have daddy issues um, which are a bit of of an awkward conversation but I feel it just didn't quite connect on that human level. Uh, Brad Pitt's character maybe doesn't, didn't quite have the warmth, He, he does an amazing job but I just didn't warm to him enough despite hearing his every and the fact that he's a, a decent mm-hmm. guy um, Tommy Lee Jones was kind of the opposite to his son which also felt a, a bit strange you didn't see that family connection um there's no uh, other people really to speak of a few extra sort of roles come and go and Liv Tyler is in the movie but she doesn't really say anything and she just kind of looks sad for a bit and then happy once or twice and uh, yeah i can understand there's a criticism of this just being (laughs) uh, maybe um, too solely focused i think if you're going to focus on one character as much as this movie does you really kind of need genuine depth and mystery to that and i don't feel Mm. like this movie quite delivered in that way it also felt the need to do a, these action sequences that maybe were a tiny bit forced. Uh, all that being said, it visually, uh, it's stunning. It feels amazing floating around space on this, this mission, definitely in it. But I just felt like it ended a bit of a whimper, and um, I'm going to have to go with three out of five for this one, Flinty.
0: No, fair enough. So I've got two questions. One is there's been a lot of think pieces about this film in particular, specifically around father issues, and it follows pretty much just Brad Pitt most of this movie. And the main critique from that, from these different think pieces, is that we've seen this story. We've seen this story so many times of, you know, handsome leading white male having daddy issues, who's the only female representation in the film is pretty much just to be an emotional mirror of someone being sad and upset does this film do that or is that people having a cheap shot and i suppose my second question is i can't help but think of interstellar when you look at this film and the tone and the pace and all that sort of stuff interstellar plays around with time a lot and it really does fuck with you and the fact that they're talking about generations between brad pitt's character and his dad they do anything with time in this
1: um no (laughs) basically (laughs) i he he's his dad's been gone for 30 years and this kind of takes pace maybe over a, it's it's very linear it's very obvious to see what's going on really uh I, there are some a lot of kind of old videos he's got of his father that you see you get little dribs and drabs of what might have happened to his father or rumors but on the whole not especially um i also going to the representation kind of issue i mean there's no brad pitt's a leading man he's a brilliant actor of course he he can carry the weight of this role and why should he not i i I don't really get that there's definitely i think if it was an amazing movie you would probably might not have that critic criticism of it but i don't think why do you have to represent everyone you don't you can still make a movie I just, yeah, I'm bored of that sort of argument of trying to include people for the sake of it and, you know, make whatever the story needs and hopefully the story's good enough to warrant it. But um, this not, didn't quite hit it for me. But um, I will say, I think Brad Pitt does an amazing job. It's not going to win him an Oscar, I don't think. And the gap between the critics reviews which are quite high and the audience score which is quite low uh, is kind of very interesting and I can't think of the last movie where critics and audiences seem to agree I I mean there are obviously many but it seems like the gap is widening between the elites and the fans Flinty and we are hopefully somewhere in between that, that's what I like to think anyway
0: We're fans that are a bit too passionate with too much time in our hands. (laughs) So so there you go. There you have it. If you've got daddy issues and like to see space movies, then it's a five out of five for everyone else. It seems like around the three mark. Mm Really. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. If you've enjoyed listening to this and you want to listen to a little bit more, then maybe just maybe you're willing to go a little bit further just click on the like follow subscribe whatever button it is that you get more content from talk filming to me follow us on twitter we'll be tweeting about stuff we have coming up screenings we get invited to interviews we've got lined up and all the fun in between of that i want to thank my co-host my boy my co-pilot my chewbacca john how can people find you
1: you can find me at uh, Descomento on Twitter.
0: Next week, we'll be back reviewing Rambo. Last Blood. And a bunch of other filmy stuff in between. Stay filmy till next time. Bye. We're
1: down in the basement. We'll lock the cellar door and baby.
0: Talk filmy to me.